Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. As one, one hospital executive put it, there are no good options. There is so much Omicron that even your doctor or nurse might have COVID and they're still treating you. The healthcare system, just as Walmart, just as every other industry, uh, you know, is facing a worker shortage because of this variant. At the same time, this is a shortage that existed pre-COVID. There were a lot of workplace pressures on the healthcare industry prior to COVID. COVID has just really exacerbated that, is what I'm told. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. And today... Recording... Healthcare reporter Rachel Levy. Okay. On the catastrophic strain that America's understaffed hospitals are under two years into the pandemic and the effect that the CDC's new isolation guidance is having on hospital staffing. I was seeing the debate that was going on about the broader CDC recommendations. If you remember from a few weeks ago, there was a debate about. Should the broader public only be isolating for five days? And should there not be a test? And yeah, I started seeing some of the debate in the healthcare space. The fact that the CDC changed this guidance has essentially, you know, made many healthcare facilities move to the new guidance fairly quickly. So some hospitals may have in previous times required a 10-day isolation period for a staff member that tested positive. Uh, As soon as the CDC updated its guidance last month, they moved to five days without a test. So you don't even have to test negative before you show back up at work. Mm -hmm. And you don't necessarily have to wear an N95 around patients either. What I was told is that healthcare workers have never been as panicked as they are now. Uh, This is raising comparisons to the early days of the pandemic, March, April, May 2020. They're worried that they're going to get sick on the job. They're worried that they're getting pressured to come back on the job. But if you talk with executives and health officials, they don't necessarily think there are better options at this point. The country has a shortage of healthcare workers, particularly nurses, at the same time that there is a huge surge in Americans who need to be seen at the hospital for COVID in particular. Um, but also all the other illnesses that and injuries that need to be treated uh, in our healthcare system. Yeah, because they may run out of workers and have to shut down, or not op, you know not offer services, not offer treatments uh, to people who who need them. So the option that essentially the country is facing is: Do you scale back health services? To even people who are need to be treated for things that are not related to COVID, you get into a car accident or you have cancer, other other healthcare needs. Is it better to treat those people even with workers who might still be a little bit infectious or may not have isolated at all once they contracted COVID? Mm-hmm. That is the dilemma. My mom had cancer a couple of years ago, and I just keep thinking about the extremely at risk patients, you know, and how risky it is for a lot of people like you know this is all due to you know omicron but there are so many different ways to be sick (laughs) and there are so many different ways to be at risk and so like in in so many ways this is almost 
it's it's really only partially about Omicron, right? Like so much of what this does is um, test the medical system for everyone who's sick with something else, right? And especially if you're a person who is sick with something that makes you really high risk. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking about cancer patients. We're talking about, you know, children with with blood cancer, with leukemia, who, you know, might not be protected by a vaccine. Um, They are very at very high risk. If they get infected, they are they suffer the worst consequences, including death. Yeah. Well, think about it this way. When you when you go to see a doctor, you're not just seeing the doctor, you're seeing probably several nurses, There's a secretary who checks you in. If you go to a big medical center, maybe there's a security guard at the door. There's assistance. Maybe you go to the cafeteria. You stop to get a snack. I mean, there there are a lot of touch points. There are a lot of people mm-hmm. who you will come into contact with. There's the, the cleaning person. You know, there are a lot of people. And those people live outside the hospital. They live outside the clinic. And pretty much everywhere in this country is seeing a surge in cases. And those people are just as likely to catch COVID as you and I might be. Most of them are vaccinated, not all, not as much as I think many healthcare officials would would want to be. There's somewhere like one in five nursing home workers are unvaccinated still. At hospitals, the data isn't fully complete. The CDC tells me there's something like about 77% vaccinated. So let's say about one in four healthcare workers at, at hospitals Uh, who are not vaccinated. And so you have, I mean, you have these conditions where a lot of people are falling sick. And is there like one story or one hospital or one case study that really jumped out at you from reporting this story? I think several did. One of them, you know, was a a hospital executive in, in Newark, New Jersey, who has 300 or something, you know, staff out. Wow. Currently, most with COVID. And there are compound issues here. I mean, he he was telling me that he essentially has no good choices. It's not that he necessarily wants to put COVID-positive staff in front of a patient, right? That's not, nobody wants that. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't have testing. He doesn't have enough testing to, you know, require it. Uh, He said that if if he were to require all of the workers that he has who are testing positive to get tested after they isolate for five days to make sure they're not still positive, there, that would take away testing from the community, all the long lines of people who need a test. He also he just doesn't have enough people. He doesn't have enough staff. And so this is where that dilemma comes up of, do you, do you treat the patient, even if the doctor or nurse or whoever may be, might still be contagious, prevent you know, a worse outcome for that person and risk the COVID transmission? Or do you shut down those services completely? And you mentioned like with something like a worker shortage that existed before the pandemic, but these are issues that have only grown. And with something like a worker shortage, you know, it's not so easy as to just say like, go hire more people. Those are things that take time. And you mentioned that in the meantime, some of these hospitals might not have enough staff to offer certain services. We're in a particularly blizzard-like moment, let's say. There's exhaustion. There's an understaffing as well. I mean, healthcare workers, the phrases that were used were panicked, we're scared, we don't feel safe. That's the other thing I should say is that a lot of them don't support this new guidance from the CDC to, mm. to drop isolation requirements, to reduce the time that, that a worker is, is you know, sent home, essentially, to, 
to not be at work. And so a lot of the workers oppose it, but who's in favor of it? The more like executive type people at hospitals who are worried about keeping them open? That's my understanding. And some public health officials too, and even some public health experts I've heard talk about this too, is there's a concern about shutting down services that people might actually need. You know, we're not talking about plastic surgeries here. We're talking about, you know, like if someone gets into a car accident, if someone needs a heart transplant. If you talk with the workers, you know, some of them are really upset. They say, well, we should shut down some of the surgeries that are that aren't mandatory, that don't need to happen right now, for example. And they'll say, well, the hospitals just want to make money. You know, they're they don't want to shut that down because that's, you know, revenue. Mm. There's debate there, I should say. Everyone has a slightly different opinion. But I, I will say that there are there are several nurses unions in particular that have come out very strongly against this new policy, the American Medical Association as well. Not everybody agrees that this was the right thing to do. Mm. And what are the reporting structures like? Would patients necessarily even know if they got COVID from going to the doctor? No. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, no one's ever going to want to go to a doctor again after <laughs> hearing this. Um, and I, that's not medical advice, to be clear. You won't necessarily be told if you're exposed as a patient. So the CDC's recommendation is that, you know, anyone who comes into prolonged contact with someone who tests positive should be informed. Mm-hmm. I think there is honest debate about this five-day rule. You know, CDC has said that most transmission happens within those five days, that after that, especially if you're wearing a mask after the five days, after testing positive or symptoms, that it should be low risk. You should be, you know, not be a big risk to, to those around you. But I don't know if that's necessarily the situation that we expected to find ourselves in you know, two years into the pandemic. Yeah. And I mean, to be clear, we're not saying like you will get COVID at the hospital or don't go to the hospital, but it's this kind of horrific, very high stakes dilemma that is playing out in our nation's hospitals right now, right? If you have a heart attack, if you get into a car accident, if you get cancer, you still need to go get treated. You can't wait a week, four weeks, a year. You have to go now. You need to be seen. That's the stakes there. And one woman I spoke with, she was in Michigan. Uh, she had a young, young kid, you know, five months old, really, really little. Mm-hmm. Needed to get a heart surgery. And the hospital called to tell her that they had to delay the surgery because so many staff are out sick, effectively. And, you know, it's it's also sort of a story of how each facility is different, to each hospital is different, and how they decide to, to cope with the surge of cases. So mm-hmm. this particular health care facility slash hospital slash system in Michigan, they decided to stop some surgeries to delay some surgeries. And they are also facing a staff shortage and the double whammy of surge in patients needing COVID treatment. But interestingly, they decided not to reduce the isolation period mm-hmm. from 10 days to five days. So they, they've kept it at 10 days. So if nurse tests positive, she's out or he's out for 10 days. And when I asked the, the mom about that, the mom uh, of the son who needed the surgery, she said she really appreciated that, actually, because as much as she understood the challenges on the healthcare system currently, she doesn't want her son exposed to COVID. 
right? He's yeah. not vaccinated, he's too young, mm-hmm. and he has a serious health condition. Rachel Levy, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you for having me. Also today, the Treasury has begun rolling out quarters featuring the writer, poet, and activist Maya Angelou. She is the first Black woman to appear on the coin. The new coin is part of the American Women Quarters Program. Additional quarters will feature astronaut Sally Ride, Wilma Mankiller, the first woman to be Principal Chief of the Cherokee Nation, and Anna Mae Wong, who is the first Chinese-American Hollywood movie star. And investigation is ongoing in a New York City fire that killed at least 19 people in a Bronx high-rise. Mayor Eric Adams said that city officials were looking into maintenance problems that may have prevented an apartment door from closing automatically, allowing the deadly fire to spread. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. I'm Annie Reese. Thank you so much for listening.